I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries, and I've been teaching you on God Creates Evil. I've got a title up here. God creates evil for our good. He told Israel that over and over in the Old Testament. He said, I had all these these Assyrians attack northern Israel and carry them into captivity for your good. Why, why would he do that? Why would he do it for their good? Because they disobeyed him. Everything. I'm going through the book of Jeremiah. Everything in Jeremiah is about Jeremiah preached to Israel from 626 B.C. That's 626 years before Christ to 586 B.C. That's when Israel was southern Judah. Southern Judah. Southern Judah was southern Israel. Southern Judah was carried away finally that was the final demise of Israel the man that walked through the streets was Jeremiah telling Israel Nebuchadnezzar is coming from the east over here and I'll just put Neb is coming from Babylon Nebuchadnezzar is coming from Babylon and he's going to carry into captivity. Northern Israel, which was the ten northern tribes, ten, what's called ten lost tribes, they were carried away for the same reason in 722 B.C., 722 years before Christ, because Ahab had brought Baal in the grove down into Israel from when he married Jezebel and her father was Ethbaal. He was the king or the prince of Tyre. Tyre is right above Israel. It's what we call Lebanon right up here. Lebanon. And he married her and brought her Baal and the grove gods down. The whole thing, the reason Jeremiah's preaching was to, was to tell him, judgment's coming on you. And God says, Jeremiah, do not pray for this people. You are a preacher of judgment. And Jeremiah was looked on very dimly by the, by the Israelite people. They said, we want to kill him for he's disheartening us. He's saying this gigantic uh, uh, conqueror is going to come over here and destroy us. Well, I've been going through the Bible with this paper I've got, I wrote this years ago. I don't know. It's The title is, Does God Create Evil? I Will Not Pity. And the verse that everybody resents and tries to make something out of it that it doesn't say is Isaiah 45 and 7, where the Lord says, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And what I'm trying to show you, people resent that. They say, if God creates evil, that makes him evil. No, it doesn't. He's good when he creates evil for our good. The same thing that he did, what he did he spanked Israel with 
Assyria and with Babylon. He carried them away and they were slaughtered over here. But he said, just because you won't keep my covenant doesn't mean I'm not going to keep it towards you. He told Israel, he kept telling them, do not run away from my judgment. My judgment, he might as well have said, my switch, my belt, my I'll take off my belt and whip you, and my corrector is, is Nebuchadnezzar. He's the one that I'm going to bring in and spank you with. And I'm going to do that until, until I call you back, May, 14th, 1948 is where they came back. They were declared a nation by the National Council of Tel Aviv for the first time since they were carried away in 586 B.C. And they've been under the rule of all these people. They were carried off and they ended up in Babylon and they migrated all over the world from there. So when God says, I'll call you back from all over the world, I will scatter you, and I'll whip you, and I'll scourge you. That's what he does to the church. That's what he does to us. He scourges and chastens every son he receives. There in Hebrews 12. So he says, every son that's mine, I'm going to chasten you. The word chasten, P-A-D, P-I-D, E-U-O comes from the word P-A-I-D-E, which is the word child. Child, and it means to whip or to spank. Scourge is the word mastix, M-A-S-T-I-X. It it comes from mastigao, M-A-S-T-I-G-O-O. That's the noun, and this is the verb. And a mastix or mastigao was a little short whip with with leather strips on it and had pieces of glass and bone in that. And he says, I'll beat you with that in order so you can partake of my holiness. Holiness is the word hagiosmos, H-A-G-I-A-S-M-O-S, hagiosmos. And that is a form of the word hagiazo, H-A-G-I-A-Z-O, which is the word sanctify. And it's also the word hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Well, we get the word holy, H-A-G-I-O-S, that's the word holy, and holy means to be pure or single. Single. How do you make gold ore pure or single? You put it in the fire, and you turn the heat up so high that all the other metals will burn out, the copper and the zinc, and the, even the silver will burn out, and all that's left is liquid gold. And when God that's what he's going to put us through so he can mold us into the likeness of Christ. We were predestined, not just predestined to be in heaven, we're predestined to be conformed to Christ's image. Image is the word icon, it means likeness. So Israel was, they were just a, just like the apostles. When Jesus called the apostles, they were baby believers. 
And Jesus would say to them, every time you turn around, he would say, O ye of little faith. Little. Little is the word oligos. It means puny. O ye. Every time you'd say that to the apostles, he'd say, O ye of puny faith. They had to grow and their faith had to grow. Now, the reason God scattered them was because all the time they were a nation in the Old Testament, they went after Baal and the grove. The grove was the same thing as the Christmas tree, whether anybody likes that or not. And the Baal was the fire god. Now, Jeremiah is the last prophet that's walking the streets telling Israel judgment's coming and God told Jeremiah I want you to go all the gates of the city the city was always surrounded by a great big wall they built walls around the city and God says and they had a gate at every at every wall that have a sheep gate that have a dung gate that have a a fish gate and it was always closer to the Mediterranean Sea that's where they'd bring the fish in and they'd go to he said go to the gates of the city and go to the gate of the temple that's Solomon's porch the gate of the temple and preach to the all the people that are gathering there the gates of the city was more or less it was like a uh, city hall They'd put sheep there, dung there. They would be doing business there. And he said, go tell all the people that are gathering there at the gates that the judgment is coming. Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy them. I've gone through part of Jeremiah, but I'm just going to remind you of some things. Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, he's the last prophet that's going to prophesy before Israel is totally annihilated in 586 BC and they stayed in they stayed in this captivity for 2600 years from 586 to May 14th 1948 May 14th that's when they became a nation for the first time since they were carried away in 586 they have become a nation here and they were under rule of all the nations of the world everybody misruled them killed them and slaughtered them adolf hitler was the last caucasian that destroyed them he destroyed six million of them in those in that holocaust and those camps during world war ii he did the will of god and he didn't know that he was an evil, wicked, godless man. He thought he was he thought he was serving God by killing the people that killed Jesus. He didn't kill the people that killed Jesus. It was the Pharisees. Now that's all I gotta say about that. So the Lord says to him He says here in in Jeremiah the first chapter, he says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. He tells them that in Jeremiah 1 and verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly. Now his mother and father may think they formed him in the belly. But it was God that did the forming. Now we've gone in Jeremiah over here. To 
we've gone over to about the eighth chapter. I don't know if I went any further than that. I just flipped away from where I was. And uh, but we can go back to the eighth chapter and we'll read some things that God said to Jeremiah. Well let's go to let's go to let's go to Jeremiah nine. Jeremiah nine and verse eleven. God didn't just say this one time in the Old Testament. He said it all over the Old Testament. And Jeremiah said more about God carrying Israel away than anybody else in the Old Testament. He said more about the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast than anybody else. And God told Jeremiah, don't you pray for this people. You're a preacher of judgment. I identify with Jeremiah because... I don't believe I'm a preacher of conversion. I believe I'm a preacher of judgment. I'm trying to tell the world what's about to happen. I believe this whole system is going to cave in very shortly before long. In verse 11 of chapter 9, this is God saying, let's read 9 through 11. The Lord said unto me, a conspiracy is found among the men of Judah. That's southern Israel. Northern Israel is carried away. So anytime Jeremiah's mentioning, he's talking about southern Israel or southern Judah. Judah was the fourth son of of Jacob. But when they named the southern kingdom, they called it after Judah. The southern kingdom was made up of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. That was southern Israel. So Whenever you say, so when Jeremiah says Judah, he's talking about southern Israel. He said, a conspiracy is found among the men of southern Israel and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in southern Israel. Jerusalem, if you'll notice on this map, is in the land of Benjamin. And Benjamin and Judah comprise southern Israel. Uh, Simeon is down here, but... He was numbered with northern Israel. I believe he put Simeon down there because he was this rascal. And he had to, Judah had to keep watch on him. I've already gone through that. That was because he he uh, killed Hamor and Shechem because Shechem had, had a, an affair with the only daughter of Jacob, Dinah, and so it made Simeon so mad he wanted to kill them all and his father said if you'll be circumcised you can become one of us and so they all were circumcised and as soon as they were circumcised Simeon went to Levi and said Levi let's go kill all of them they're too sore to move now so that's what they did and Simeon has a blot on his on his history so I believe that's why I put him in southern Judah and then he says here uh Verse 10, they are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers. He said Israel is going back to their forefathers. Everything Jeremiah is saying is judgment on southern Judah. That's what it's talking about. You can get that in your mind when you read Jeremiah, and it's not hard to understand. Which refuse to hear my words. Hear and obey are the same word in the in the Hebrew. Well, you, so you can substitute. It's the word shama. They refuse to obey my words. Shama. Shama. 
and they went after other gods, Baal, Grove, Shemash, Molech, and we could name them and, uh, over and over again. They went after the gods of Egypt, they went after the gods of Syria. The same thing that was brought into the church and renamed the Christ Mass. If God's going to do this to Israel for partaking in those systems, what do you think he's going to do to America? The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant. Of course, the house of Israel is already in captivity, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil. Because you went after these other gods that they brought in the church to rename Christmas. I'll bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape. That's when Nebuchadnezzar comes in. And he comes in in this book. We're going to get to the 40th chapter and it'll show how Nebuchadnezzar comes in. His commander-in-chief, Nebuchadnezzar, comes in and Nebuchadnezzar's telling him what to do and they're slaughtering people all over Israel. But they spared Jeremiah because he was a good man. And they shall cry unto me and I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods, little G-O-D-S, unto whom they offer incense. Just south of Jerusalem was the valley of Tophet. Was the valley of Hinnom, excuse me, Hinnom. And it was called Gehenna. And Jerusalem was up here. And southeast of Jerusalem, they had the valley of Tophet, where they would burn incense to Moloch and Israel would come down and offer their children in the fire to Moloch and the same day according to Ezekiel the 23rd chapter the same day they'd go back and offer an offering to Jehovah God that's insane and then on the west of the valley of Tophet that was a place where they burned all the dead bodies and refuge and they kept these fires going continually they were eternal fires eternal fires now let's keep reading and then he said they'll cry unto me and I will not hearken unto them that's in the last sentence of verse 11 then he says in verse 22 Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish Israel. It says them. It's talking about Israel. He's not talking about pagans through any of the book of Jeremiah. Everything he says is against Israel, particularly southern Judah. I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall no and there shall be no more remnant of them for I will bring evil upon the men of Anathoth that's another name for Israel even the year of their visitation now let's go to the next let's set of verses go over here to chapter 16 I can't read everything that Jeremiah had to say about them I'm just going through and taking the verses that I put in this paper Chapter 16, still talking to the same people. Verse 10. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt show this people all these words 
they shall say unto thee, Wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this evil against us? They knew it came from God too, and they said it was pronounced by God. They, they had that right. They said, Wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this evil against us? Like you're stupid and you don't know and he told you not to do it and he told you these are the things he'd do. He'd bring the sword, the famine, the pestilence. Or what is our iniquity and what is our sin shall we have committed against the Lord our God? It's like they're playing dumb. They knew exactly what they'd done. Now go over here to Jeremiah 18. And look at verse 8. If that nation... Well, let's read verse 6 first. He goes down to the potter's house. In verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. Remember Romans 9, 20 and 21. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power of the claim of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor Jacob and another unto dishonor Esau, if that's what he wants to do? He's t- reminding them of the same thing here. And then he says in verse 8, If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil. He said, I've pronounced all this evil that I'm going to do. And if they turn and they won't, because he's planned for them not to turn. We can see that in Romans eleven eleven. Hath Israel stumbled by worshiping these gods merely to stumble for no other reason? God forbid they stumbled. Boy, this is hard to get a hold of. They stumbled so salvation will come to the Gentiles. The Gentile church. They were stumbling over here God wanted them to. He ordained everything, including their evil, including evil against them. It's just like people want to say, "Why would God create evil?" There was a, they were, they were a switch. When you tell a little kid, "Go out there and get me a switch," I'm gonna spank you with it. God picked up Babylon as a switch and whipped Israel with the switch. That's when he picked up the Assyrians and spanked northern Israel with that switch. Just like you spank your children with a switch. And you should. The Bible says it will not kill them. And do not, do not stop because of their crying. Spank them. So God is spanking Israel. He's not forsaking Israel. He said, I'm going to put you in Babylon. And then I'm going to bring you back. If you'll come back, but most of them wouldn't even come back from Babylon. They got prosperous in Babylon, got to making money, buying houses, having children. They said, we don't want to go back to that wasteland that Nebuchadnezzar leveled and start all over again. When you read Jeremiah, you have to read it with a, with a magnifying glass. You've got to look at it for what it is. It's against... Southern 
Judah. He's not talking about pagans anywhere in it, other than to refer that Israel got their gods from these pagans. Now look here in, in chapter 18, verse 8. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent. Now that word repent doesn't mean God's going to find an aisle of a Baptist church and walk down the aisle and start crying, go, I want to repent of what I did. Repent is the word nakam, N-A-C-H-A-M, N-A-C-H-A-M. It means to sigh. It means to sigh and go, oh man. Let me say this. If God does not create wrath, there will be no wrath. If God does not create every emotion of the being, if he doesn't create it in himself, he will not sigh. It means to comfort or ease himself. This seems like God's adventures upon us. These are God's ventures. We are his program, like I put in the title originally. We are the program of God. He's decided to birth whom he wills. He decided to pick us out. He says, this is going to be my son. He looked at all the world. And he sees all these people. And he says, I created them all. And only a certain few are mine. They're my predestinated elect. I'm going to birth them by my will. That's what the Bible says. We were born. We were birthed. Not of not of man's will, but of God's will, John one thirteen. Not of the will of man or the will of the flesh, but of God. So he births us, and then he says, since you're just a child, I'm going to have to spank you and make you behave. Every time he says, obey me, it doesn't mean we will, because we won't if we're left up to our thinking. If we left up to what we think, we won't obey God. He'll whip us. If you wonder why you're going through such trials and persecution, that's God spanking you as a believer. That's one thing the preachers don't ever talk about. They don't talk about God scourges his children. He chastens his children. He's, you're born with, when you're born again, you're not born grown up. You're just a child. He has to grow you up and your faith has to increase. Before faith was increased among the Corinthians, the Lord Paul said, when your faith is increased, you'll quit giving me a hard time. He said, you'll start believing the truth. And when your faith is increased, you'll look back at all the trials of your life and you'll say, if I hadn't have gone through that, I wouldn't be this person I am today. If I hadn't have gone through, I've been to hell and back, as the old saying goes. I've been, I've had two heart attacks, one heart surgery. I've had asthmatic bronchitis in the hospital. It was, I thought it was killing me. I thought I was going to die at 45 years old in the hospital. And I look back and say, thank you, God, for putting me through those things. Because without that, I would not be doing anything right i i was 40 years old before i ever really started making a living i made a living in real estate never made a living in music business that's either feast or famine and with people that are not famous it's always famine 
And I didn't ever make a living in that. Everything that's happened in this ministry in my life has happened since I was 40 years old. I'm 82 now, and it's happened in the last 42 years. It's because God whipped me with disease. You say, God will whip you? Well, yes. I, let me read a verse to you. I've already read oh, back over here in Psalms. Psalm 17. I need to read this more than once. In Psalm 17. 17. He's talking about wicked men. He says, wicked men. Verse 8. Keep me as the apple of thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Keep me from the wicked that it that oppress me from my deadly enemies who compass me about they are enclosed in their own fat fat doesn't mean the cellulite on the side of your belly fat meant the richest of the cattle the richest of the crops the richest of the wheat they're enclosed in their money and their things and their stuff with their mouth they speak proudly. I am a banker. I am a lawyer. I am a doctor. I am somebody. They have now compassed us in our steps. They've surrounded us. Compass means to surround. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth like a lion. This is what the uppity people in the world do. Like a lion that is greedy for his prey. And as it were a young lion lurking in secret places, arise, O Lord, in my life. Disappoint these men. Cast them down with all their riches. Deliver my soul from the wicked high rollers, which is thy sword. From men which are thy hand oh wicked men are the hand of God as he whips us and spanks us and says you're going to behave yourself he picks up Babylon and whips us just like he did Israel Babylon is nothing but let us make us a name is there anybody in America that has that as their doctrine let us make us a name Seems like the whole nation does. We're going to have a big name in this town. People are going to know who I am, and they're going to buy my houses and buy insurance for me. I'm going to be a big star and have everything that I want. You're an evil, wicked man, if that's what you're thinking. From men which are thy hand, O Lord. Evil men are the hand of God. Remember, let me tie something together for you. Let me tie this together. Satan said to Job, or God said to Job, have you considered my servant? Said, God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? God, Satan said, give him to my hand. Give him to me, and I'll make him curse you. God says, he's in your hand, but you can't kill him and you can't touch his body. You got that, Buster? He said, yes, sir. Remember over in Second Peter, the Bible says, humble yourself under the hand of God. The hand doesn't change. It's still evil man. Humble. 
There's no such thing as voluntary humility. The Bible tells us that in the second chapter of Colossians. Men claim to have a, a voluntary humility. There's no such thing. The Bible says, well, let me just go ahead and give that to you. Let me flip over here to to Second Peter. Second Peter. The fifth, the uh, excuse me, the first Peter, the fifth chapter, first Peter, the fifth chapter, and verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. We've already established the hand of God as evil man. That's the only thing that will make a man tapenua, T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O, T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O. Tapenua is the word humble. It's an imperative mood. That is a command. You can't stop yourself from being humbled by evil men, by God's hand, if they will beat you down enough that you get to a place saying, I can't take this anymore. God, I surrender. I got to that place in my life. When I was in the hospital, my med force, let me tell you, asthmatic bronchopneumonia is a lot worse than a heart attack and having triple bypass surgery. I've never had anything like not being able to breathe and just pulling as hard as I can all day, every day, trying to get air into my lungs. If you notice, I'm not doing that anymore. I was <laughs> carrying that albuterol around with me, spraying it every five minutes. And in the hospital, calling for the respiratory therapist every 20 minutes. That is scary. You feel like you're on the bottom of a 100-foot swimming pool deep. And somebody gave you a straw that's as thin as a hair to breathe through. You're going, <laughs> I can't breathe. Make it up out of bed. Get me to the hospital. I'd go in the hospital and say, give me something. And the nurse would say, now calm down, Mr. Brown. I'd say, you calm down. You never had this before, have you? And that stupid nurse saying, calm down when you can't breathe. That's like bending over some guy that's dying saying, now nah, take it easy. This dumb nurse is what it was. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. But let me show you something else. This is a command, and it has to be a command to find the wise word humble. It has to be a command because of, of the verse over in Colossians. You've got to look at Colossians. Colossians. All right. I'll get there in a minute. These things come to me as I'm teaching. So what was happening, Jeremiah's telling people, what was happening, this was God's hand raised up against you to crush you because you were a baby believer and you didn't have good sense. I didn't have good sense at 26, 27 when I was traveling as a young preacher. I didn't have good sense. But I thought I was, I thought I was real smart back then. Look here, chapter 2. Look at verse 18 of Colossians. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility. There's no such thing. 
Somebody's beguiling you thinking you can humble yourself. And a worshiping of angels intruding into those things which they hath not seen, vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. You can't voluntarily humble yourself. It's not possible. You can look humble. You can kind of walk around and and say, gosh, gee whiz, I'm humble. I'll make myself pigeon-toed and kind of nominated, and this makes me look more humble. See how humble I am? That's phony as a $3 bill. Don't ever believe that when you see somebody acting humble. It's just not true. Humility, let me say this too. You cannot humble yourself to God and man at the same time. If you're humble to God, you'll be bold to man, won't you? Seeing we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Plainness, parhesia, means to be blunt. Plainness. You say, but Jeremiah was a lot stronger than us. Sometimes the Bible says he was afraid of the enemy. He was a human, but he was bold enough to know if I step forward, God's behind me in this. He would go everywhere and preach to them. I started to write something down. I forgot what it was. But anyway, there's no such thing as voluntary humility. You have to. But do we have to humble? Imperative mood. That's a command just as much as it was when he said, let there be light. Just as much of a command. Humble yourself under the hand of God, which is evil man. God doesn't cause things to... God cannot touch evil, but he's got a spoon that he stirs evil with, and that spoon is Satan. And it can only do the amount of evil that God wants him to do. That's all. Now, Jeremiah's telling Israel all through this book, do not go to Egypt looking for sanctuary or salvation. Egypt's not going to help you. The commander of the world, the ruler of all the world is Nebuchadnezzar. Don't go over there. If you go over there, and you'll see that through the book of Jeremiah, God will put it in the heart of one of these Babylonian soldiers to come over there and kill you, and he may not even know what he's doing. He'll think he's just fighting for Nebuchadnezzar, but he'll come and have you killed. Jeremiah is not saying you don't have any hope. He's saying in the 29th of the 25th chapter, go to Babylon... Particularly in Jeremiah 29. He says, go to Babylon, marry, marry, build houses, build houses, plant gardens. You're going to be there at least 70 years. And then God will call you back. But by the time they were in Babylon 70 years, we live in a Babylonian system, a let us make us a name system. And once people get to living in Babylon, they don't want to give it up and go back to Israel, which is a wasteland. They don't want to come into the church, which there's very few that want these truths. It's like a wasteland. They don't want to do that. It's too hard. You know what? If I don't believe 
And I believe a man, he can't hear. He can't hear if God doesn't give him a hearing ear. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord's made it both of them. I don't blame a man that can't hear. I'm not looking for goats to turn into sheep. Every sheep out there will be saved and they will believe because they're lost sheep. When a sheep is lost, who does it belong to? It belongs to the shepherd, doesn't it? And Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Past tense, it was lost before he come into the world. And he tells us to, to do what we're supposed to do. Now look here in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is telling Israel, you're going to have salvation. Why did he send them off to Israel for 70 years? Why, does anybody remember? Huh? Well, that's true, but there's a there's a particular specific reason more than any other reason. Huh? To let the land rise, Paolo. They went for 490 years. They never practiced crop rotation. God didn't have crop rotation. He said... They went for 490 years without and he'll tell you that in Jeremiah the the 25th chapter and Jeremiah the 29th chapter he'll tell you that you got to spend 70 years over there in Babylon while they're gone 70 years the land's going to lie fallow if you leave land alone it'll restore the nutrients over that much time when they when Mount St. Helens erupted they said after 10 years after everything started growing back, they said everything was lush out there. It was the richest land because all of that ash came down onto the land out there around Mount St. Helens, and they said they could grow anything in it after that. So that was a necessity for the land. And they said, you go over here for 70 years, and then I'll call you back. And if you don't come back, I'm going to measure out that 70 times 7. They had a sabbatical year every 7 years, and they never kept that for 490 years. You cannot, if a man owns a crop out here in the middle, if he owns a 1,000 acres out in Kansas, he can't plant every, every crop every year there. He'll burn up the land. That's what happened in the Dust Bowl back in the 20s when it just destroyed the land out there in Oklahoma and all the other surrounding states because those farmers were ignorant and they didn't know how to rotate the crops. And it devastated the land. That's when they all, that old movie Grapes of Wrath came out and they all headed to California as to pick as fruit pickers because they couldn't they couldn't stand Oklahoma and that was a one of the most devastating things that ever happened it was one of the most natural disasters ever happened in America I mean the the storm was was 20 30 miles wide and and five miles high and it moved across the country even got as far as Washington DC and got up into Michigan and they said it was the worst thing that ever happened. They found people dead in their cars. They couldn't drive through it. They were just covered with sand. And it was, just go in line and look up Dust Bowl. It's unbelievable. Now, let me continue in this. So he says in verse 8, 
of chapter 18. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent. I will sigh and be comforted in myself. God has to create that in himself. If you're going to have wrath, if you're going to have mercy, you can't have mercy without having something that opposes that, that makes mercy what it is. What would you call mercy if there was no wrath, nothing bad? What would you call it? You'd have to call it, huh? It would have no definition. What would you call, what would you call sweet if there was no sour, no bitter? There's no such thing as bitter. See, God has to have the the opposite, the antithesis. He, antithesis, antithesis. Thesis means to lie opposite. He has to have the uh, antithesis to have something sweet. And if he has wrath, that's the only way he can have mercy. He has to define it within himself. And God has all of this good and bad and righteous and unrighteous because he created every bit of it. Man is so nothing. We really are not worth anything. The only thing that's worth anything us is Christ in you, the hope of glory, if he births himself in you. Why people think they deserve to go to heaven, I don't know. So he said, I would repent of this evil that I thought to do unto you, if you repent. In other words, they didn't repent, so he kept going with the evil. Look here in verse, verse 11 of chapter 18 people want to fight over God doing evil God don't just do evil he does everything known unto God all his works from the beginning of the world over there in Acts the 15th chapter he's known everything he's declared the end from the beginning from ancient times everything that's not yet done you getting sick he's already declared that you losing your car he's already declared that you Having some evil done to you, he's already declared that. There's nothing happening in the world and the universe that God has not declared before the foundation of the world. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Ecclesiastes 3.14. Forever, Olam, means it always has been and it always will be. There never was a time when God's will wasn't being done. There's no evil. If you mean, let me give you a real good illustration. Remember the son of Sam, Berkowitz in New York, and he was terrifying everybody. And he killed a bunch of people. Woke up their car and blew them away. He got in prison. He had said, "I've got 430 years to go. I'll never get out." So he got to talking to this guy. The guy started telling, talking to him about Jesus and about truth. And he began to convert. And now David Berkowitz is a Christian witnessing to people in prison. Here's the amazing thing. It was God that had him shoot those people, but it was his own sin that he's responsible for. God put him in a fleshly body that couldn't keep from doing evil. And then he kills these people. Probably most of them went to hell. He goes to prison. He begins to believe God. He gets to go to heaven. That's hard to that's hard to figure out, isn't it? 
I'm not going to try to figure it out. I just believe God does things the way he wants to. When you look at people in the Bible to, to actually believe that Manasseh, the king of Israel in the 20th chapter of 2 Kings, could go to heaven, I would say nobody can go to heaven that's like him. But he converted over there in Second Chronicles. First time I read about Manasseh, I thought, Lord, you need to send that man to hell. He's so wicked. God says, no, he's one of my elect. Manasseh was given to us to show us just how evil a believer can be in his life. As well as David who committed adultery and murder. As well as Saul. As well as Paul who was a, a mass killer. He killed Christians for a living. Now, let's continue reading here. All right. In 19, I'm going to try to get through these. I don't know how long it'll take me to get through them. In 19th chapter of Jeremiah, verse 3. Remember, he's talking to Israel. He's talking to southern Judah every time he speaks. And say, hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah. Boy, Jeremiah was a friend of Josiah. You can find that in Second Chronicles, the 35th chapter. He was a contemporary of Josiah, the, one of the most righteous kings that ever lived. O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring evil upon this place, the which whosoever heareth, both his ears shall tingle. He said that before in Second Kings. When Manasseh had done all that he did, God says, I'm going to wipe Jerusalem clean like a wine man wipes a plate. I'm going to do it with my dish rag, Nebuchadnezzar. That was God's dish rag for wiping Jerusalem clean. Both his ears shall tingle to Saul. The word tingle, T-S-A-L-L. T-S-A-L-L. That word to Saul means to, to get red in the face with shame. To have the teeth chatter. That's what it means. And look at verse 19 is a fantastic chapter. He's talking about, further in this chapter, how they built, they went down to Tophet. Verse 5, they built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire. They offered their children, their firstborn sons, in the fire. Israel did it. I've never heard a preacher preach about Jeremiah like this. Burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came into my mind. That confuses some people saying, God didn't plan that. What he was, what is saying, what didn't come into his mind, he told Israel, since I bought the firstborn in Egypt with the blood of a lamb on the doorpost, and they all belong to me, and the firstborn would receive all the inheritance and all the blessing. He had to take care of the rest of the family. He said, when I said, give me your firstborn, I do not mean, I did not have in my mind to take them down to Tophet and burn them in a fire. That's what he's saying here. And so I've had people say, well, the Bible says that God didn't have that in mind. No, what he didn't have in mind for the firstborn was to burn them 
as a sacrifice to him. And then he says, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that this place shall be no more called Tophet. That's just southeast of Jerusalem. But the valley of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And I will make void the council of Judah. That's who he's preaching to. And Jerusalem, which is the capital city of Israel, which is in Judah, in the land of Benjamin. And Jerusalem in this place. And I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies. Talking about Israelites. Judah. Judah and Benjamin. Southern Israel. And by the hands of them that seek their lives and their carcasses will I give to be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the field. And I will make this city desolate and then hissing. Nebuchadnezzar is going to burn it to the ground. He's going to pull all the big stones down that build the temple and there will be nothing left. What they would do, they would go into a city when they destroyed it. They would plow it up and sow it with salt so nothing would grow there. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. When he got through with the city, it looked like a wasteland. And the only people he left there was the poor that couldn't do anything for his kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar had Nebuchadnezzar and his commanding general say, you tell, you look to Jeremiah, he tried to tell these people the truth and told them I was coming this way. You take care of Jeremiah. Tell him he can come to Babylon and give him lands or whatever he wants. And Jeremiah said, no, I'll stay here with the poor and help them. In verse 9, I will cause Israel, Judah, to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And they shall eat everyone the flesh of his friend in the siege. That's very important to understand the siege. That's when, that's when a foreign conqueror would come in and attack a city except he wouldn't attack it. He would lay a siege against it. If this is Jerusalem... Nebuchadnezzar would come in, line his soldiers up out here, cut off all supplies, come in there, no food. And after so long, they'd run out of food, and then they'd start starving to death, and then their children would starve. That was a siege. And they started eating their own children. You can see that in the, in the sixth chapter of Second Kings. These two women said, one said, we ate my my." son yesterday and we made an agreement that she, we would eat both our children we eat ours today and eat hers tomorrow they went to king jehoram and said she wouldn't give us her son to eat today we ate mine yesterday people say i never heard of cannibalism god said I, you disobey me and i'll cause you to destroy your children and eat them do you think america's eating their children alive with all that's in this nation i believe they are why do you think the children are so rebellious on drugs and everything else? Free sex everywhere you turn. God's destroying this nation. Now let's get back here. Look at verse 11 of chapter 18. 19? On 18. I forgot to read this until you. 
Now therefore go and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you. You don't think God creates evil? He said, I frame it, yet, sir. Y-E-T-S-A-R. Y-E-T-S-A-R. It's a form of Yatsar, Y-A-T-S-A-R, which is the word potter. I'm like a potter. I'll put it in the minds of these kings to attack you and to slaughter you and destroy you. People don't like the message of Jeremiah. If you read it, read it slow. It is hard as nails. Jeremiah is one of my heroes. Him and Nehemiah, I think they're the gutsiest people that ever lived. Look at verse 8, chapter 19. I will make this, oh, I already read these. Verse 9, I will cause you, I will cause you them. Who is them? Judah, the people of Judah, to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And they shall eat everyone the flesh of his friend and the siege and straightness. Wherewith their enemies and they shall seek their lives, shall straighten them. Now let's go to the next. Go to 21 and verse 10. For I have set my face against this city. You can put Jerusalem for evil. They had transgressed against God's law and worshiping everything except God. So he says, I will set my face against this city for evil, not for good, saith the Lord, and it shall be given into the hand. There's that word again of the king of Babylon. That's Nebuchadnezzar himself. And he, and he shall burn Jerusalem with fire. And he burned it to the ground. Now let's continue reading. As touching the house of the king of Judah, say, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of David. Thus the king had to come out of the tribe of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah. There in Genesis, the 49th chapter. O house of David, thus saith the Lord, execute judgment in the morning and deliver him that is spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor, lest my fury go out like fire. God says, I've got a fury. And he said, I am enraged at times. Behold, I am against thee, Judah, southern Israel, O inhabitant of the valley and rock of the plain, saith the Lord, which say, who shall come down against us? Or who shall enter into our habitations? After all, God is our God and Savior. Who's going to get us? God says, I'm going to get you. Verse 14, I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings, saith the Lord. And I will kindle a fire in the forest thereof and shall devour all things round about. Does God sound like he's angry? I guess he is. Now go over here to chapter 23. I love chapter 23. I can't hardly read it for one of them wanting to read all of it. But I'll read the first part of it. One to the pastors of Israel. The pastors were the priests and the kings that scattered the sheep of my pastor. They're scattering them with false doctrine. 
saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the leaders, the pastors that feed my people. They're supposed to be feeding truth. If you go to Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter and the 34th chapter, he says, I'm against the shepherds of Israel. I'm against the priests and the kings that's supposed to be leading my people. And you've gone and brought Baal in the grove in. And a lot of you priests are priests of Baal now. Priests is the word kahan. They were kahan baals, cannibals. And they ate human flesh from their altar. You have scattered my flock, he says in verse 2, and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. And look over here. and There's so many good verses in this chapter. Look in verse 12. Well, I'll read verse 11. For both the prophet and the priest are profane. He's talking about the priests and the prophets in Israel. And yea, in my house I have found their wickedness. His house was the temple. Wherefore, their way shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness, and they shall be driven on and fall therein, for I will bring evil. You think God creates evil? What's wrong with you preachers out there? Are you not? I bet you never have read the book of Jeremiah, have you? I will bring evil upon Israel, upon Judah, even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. Visitation means when I visit them with all, with Nebuchadnezzar and with all of this switch that's going to use to spank them. Then he says, I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. Samaria was another term for northern Israel. They prophesied in Baal and caused my people Israel to err. And I've seen also the prophets of Jerusalem. They're not northern Israel. He was talking about Samaria. He's talking about northern Israel. The reason he says Jerusalem, that switches him to southern Judah. And a horrible thing they they commit adultery with these gods. He calls that spiritual adultery. And walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers. That none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom. God says that's what Israel has turned out to be. I've never heard anybody talk about Israel, how evil Israel was in the Old Testament. Have you? That's who he's talking to. And the inhabitants thereof of Gomorrah. There's so much here. There's a couple of verses. He looks in verse 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you in Israel. They're lying. Hearken not unto Kenneth Copeland and T.D. Jakes and Joyce Myers and, and Creflo Dollar. They lie as fast as they talk. Even Charles Stanley's line. And they make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not of the mouth of the Lord. They say, God hath said. And he said no such thing. And then if you look over here, I love this. In verse 28. Oh, let me read up. Gosh, I can't hardly get away from this chapter. Look at verse 
25. I've heard that the prophets said that prophesy lies in my name saying. That sounds like these preachers in America, doesn't it? They're prophesying in my name. Said the Lord hath said and he has not said. Saying I have dreamed, I have dreamed, I had a dream. God spoke to the old prophets in dreams. He doesn't speak to us in dreams today. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets? Verse 26. That prophesy lies. That's why God's doing this to southern Judah. And he's already done it to northern Israel. Isaiah prophesied to northern Israel. Jeremiah to southern Judah. Southern Israel. They are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Sounds like the preachers in America, doesn't it? Which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams. If if a man has a dream in Deuteronomy, the 13th chapter, even if it's true, and he tries to talk people from leaving the way of the Lord, the hodos, the narrow way, that man has to die. You've got to put him to death. So watch out what you tell people you're dreaming, because if it's wrong, the penalty in the Old Testament was death. To forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. Or Baal, however you want to pronounce it. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath a word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Is not my word like a fire? Fire from the mouth of the prophets was the word of God, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. In Jeremiah, the fifth chapter, verse 14, Jeremiah said, God says, is not my word of fire, and Israel is wood, and my word will consume them. Because of what they've done going after these other gods. He told them over and over. Don't go after these other gods. Don't keep their customs or their rituals. Therefore, behold, I am against the preachers, saith the Lord, that steal my words. They steal their words. How does a man steal the words of God? He perverts them. He says, prosper and be in health. God wants you to have money and physical health. That's not what the word prosper means. That's not what the health means. Prosper means well way. There's one way that's well. It's the narrow way. It's full of tribulation. They steal my words, every one of his neighbor. Now, let's go to the next chapter. I'm just simply trying to show you what Jeremiah had to say about God creating evil. Jeremiah 24. It's always to, it's always, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in verse 1, how he carried away Jeconiah. You can see all that story in Second Kings, the 24th chapter. And then in verse 3, Then saith the Lord unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs, the good figs, very good, and the evil, very evil. That cannot be eaten. They are so evil. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge their, them that are carried away captive of Judah. 
whom I have sent out of this place unto the land of the Chaldeans, which is another name for Babylonians. Look at those last three words, for their good. I said in the title, God creates evil for our good, the same as he did for Israel. And he creates, I'm an old man, and I know that's why he does it. I've studied this for years. And you never hear a preacher saying God creates evil for somebody's good and whips them. I don't hear any preacher in America that really says what Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah's epistle, but he was afraid of those guys. Now, to turn over to Jeremiah 25, verse 29. I just want to show you what Jeremiah said about the evil that God brings. Verse 29, for lo, I begin to bring evil on this city. That's God's words. Which is called by my name, and should you be utterly punished, unpunished, you shall not be unpunished, for I will call for the sword upon the, all the inhabitants of the earth, speaking of Israel, or everywhere in the world that doesn't abide by his word. Verse 26, verse 3. If so be that they will hearken and turn every man from his evil, that I will repent me of the evil, I will turn from the evil which I purposed to do. Well, evidently they didn't repent, and he did not turn from the evil that he purposed. Look at verse unto them because of the evil of their doings. It was because of what they're doing. Worshiping other gods. Do Does anybody here ever worship other gods? Have you ever? I'm sorry, but every one of us have. Idolatry. And this will tell you what worshiping other gods is. The Bible says a covetous man is an idolater. You can find that over in Colossians, the third chapter. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, a covetous man, man is, 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 equals an idolater. It's the same kind of idolatry that they were doing in Israel, serving Baal in the grove. Covetous, pleonectes. means to want more any way you can get it by being underhanded and then justifying yourself if you want more you're an idolater and you'll be underhanded and scheme to get what you want say well I did not mean to do that Uh, she couldn't I couldn't help it she just put herself in that position and so you you absolve yourself of sin Idolatry is the word E-I-D-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. It comes from two words, ido and latruo, L-A-T-R-E-U-O. Latruo means to serve. Ido means to see. It means to serve what you put in your eyes and your ears. You're an idolater if you if you're covetous and you say, I gotta have that and I gotta have her, I gotta work three jobs to get that. 
Working all the time doesn't work. I tried it. I worked 90 hours a week in real estate. It about killed me and put me in the hospital. I was stressing every day. I don't believe in real estate. I think we'd be better to live in tents. Now, we have the same idolatry. If you look at your car, you look at your house, and you and you just worship that. You everything is like worship is the word proskuneo. Proskuneo. P r o s c h u n e o. It's a it's a form of pros and kuon k e o n, which means hound or dog. It means toward like a hound or dog. It has the idea when you see a wolf pack, there's a alpha male. The rest of the wolves cannot eat. They can't involve in mating anything else unless that alpha male gives them permission. And all the rest of them come up and bow in front of him and lick his face like, can I have my turn now? They're all terrified of the alpha male. That's what this word has the idea of. It means to lick the hand of God. Just whatever you want me to have, God. You don't demand anything of God. Prayer prosukamai means to bow to the will of God. We pray, Lord, you know what I need of before I ask. Now, let's get back to Jeremiah. How much time do I have, Mike? 20. I'm not going to get through this. I'll have to go to number 4. And he says in 26, did I read verse 3? If so be that they will hearken, talking about Judah, and turn every man from his evil ways, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose. And they didn't repent, so he didn't turn from his evil that he purposed. And then in verse 13, Therefore now amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And they didn't. And the Lord will repent of him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. Verse 19. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him all to death? Now Hezekiah was one of the most righteous kings that ever lived. His son Manasseh was one of the most evil kings that ever lived. And his grandson Ammon was also an evil king. And his great-grandson Josiah was one of the most righteous kings. He was, you had Hezekiah, good, Manasseh, evil, Ammon, evil, and then Josiah, good. That's the way they were. Anytime you find them in the Bible. And he says, "The Lord and the if the Lord and the Lord repented him of the evil which he had pronounced against them. Thus might we procure great evil against our souls." And he's talking about God repenting of the evil. Now go over here to Jeremiah thirty-two. Jeremiah reminds them, this is right at 586 B.C., he reminds them around around a, a 1450 
probably more close to 1447 B.C. where he called them out of Egypt. And he's reminding them of that in verse 21, chapter 32. And hast thou brought forth people Israel out of the brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs when he well you can go on all the signs that he had he he opened the waters of the Red Sea he made the staff turn into a serpent and in Moses hand and brought manna from heaven in the morning doves in the evening and brought water out of a rock their soul their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years they wore the same pair of sandals for 40 years they never wore out and with wonders and with strong hand with stretched out arm and great terror and hast given them this land which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey and he did and they came in and possessed it, but they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing at all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon Israel, southern Judah. What do you mean you don't believe that God creates evil? Are you crazy? You believe the Bible? I'm reading to you out of a King James Bible. In chapter 32, verse 32 will tell you why God did it. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of southern Israel, Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger. God is, this is God's anger. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets, and the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they have turned unto me the back. And not the face. Look at 42. For thus saith the Lord. Like as I have brought all this evil upon this people. So will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. I'm going to put them over in Babylon for 70 years. And by that time I'm going to have the temple rebuilt. It's Cyrus the king of Persia. When Persia overthrows Babylon in 539 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar took took Israel in 586 B.C. And then God has Babel, has Persia take over. That's the same thing as Iran, Afghanistan, and all of the stands. And then in 538, Cyrus is going to give the first decree. See, God didn't take him to Babylon to destroy him. He took them to Babylon, make them leave the land alone. If he tells them in Deuteronomy 28, if you follow all my statutes and my commandments, I'll fill up your basket, your store, your fields. How can he fill up the fields if they're growing every year and they, they have something that God uses his form of crop rotation, leave the land alone every seven years, and they wouldn't. So he takes them to Babylon for 70 years and say, the land will restore its nutrients while you're in Babylon. Then I'll give these, I'll have these Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes to give these decrees to go back and rebuild the temple. 
that Nebuchadnezzar leveled to the ground, burnt the city to the ground, and then I'll have Artaxerxes give Nehemiah letters, and he can go back and rebuild the city. And these guys here, God had to put it in their hearts to do that. They were pagans. For the life of me, am I the only guy that's ever read Jeremiah? Jeremiah's been my hero since I was a young preacher. Boy, he had the guts to stand up to the world. But he was even a... We'll read some verses along the way that'll say Jeremiah was afraid of him. Go over here to 36th chapter. Jeremiah does something that you haven't even... It's never occurred to anybody. This book of Jeremiah and this book here called the Bible, that's the second book of Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah. It's second Jeremiah, the one that we got. Well, as he writes one in this 36th chapter, and it has it taken to the wicked king, Jehoiakim, Has it taken to Jehoiakim? He's a wicked king. How much time do I have, Mike? See if I got time to read this. Twelve. Twelve. I'll spot read some of it. It came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, he was wicked. He was one of the sons of Josiah. Wow. Josiah was one of the most righteous kings that ever lived. Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Righteous king. Jehoiakim, wicked king. That the word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write thereon all the words that I have spoken unto thee. So he sets down, starts to write. Verse 3, that it may be that the house of Judah, southern Israel, hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them. Bring in Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to slaughter and butcher. There's going to be millions of people lying in the fields in the streets of Jerusalem. All because they did not obey God. And they wouldn't pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. Tribute was what you paid to the ruling monarch over empires, so they could repair your roads. It was like tax, tribute was. Verse 4, then Jeremiah called Baruch. He had two friends. Baruch was his stenographer, his secretary. And he had Abedmelech, which was an Ethiopian eunuch. That's about all the two people that cared anything about Jeremiah. You think you're lonely? All the... All of Israel hated him. He is going through the streets to say, Repent, judgment's coming. And they're just seething. They want to kill Jeremiah. We get to that later. Verse 6. Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah, verse 4. Verse 6. Therefore, go thou and read in the roll which thou hast written from my mouth. He's telling Baruch, go read it to the officials. And, and then he gets to verse 7. 
in the middle of it. And I will return everyone from his evil ways if you repent. For great is the anger and that fury, the fury that the Lord hath pronounced against Israel and Judah. And it, verse 9. It came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Verse 10. Then read Baruch in the book, the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. He's reading it to a certain few people before he gets to the king. And when Micaiah, the son of Gamaria, the son of Shaphan, had heard of the book, all the words of the Lord. Then Micaiah, verse 13, declared unto them all the words that he had heard. And when Baruch read the book in the ears of the people, therefore all the princes of the princes sent Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, sent him to take in thine hand, in verse, at the end of the verse, the roll wherein thou hast read in the ears of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of, Ner- of Nerea, took the roll in his hand and came in, unto them. And then said unto him, Sit down now and read it in our ears. So Baruch, it came to pass that when they had heard the words, they were afraid both one and another, and said unto Baruch, We will surely tell the king of all these words. He ain't going to like this. Jeremiah is telling Nebuchadnezzar is coming. He's going to destroy the city. You have to go off to Babylon. Don't try to escape to Egypt. Go to Babylon. You'll stay there 70 years. He's not telling them up front 70 years. He told Jeremiah 70 years. And he said, you go Babylon and the land will restore its nutrients by then and then God will have these pagan kings give decrees so you can come back and rebuild the temple and the city. Look at verse 18. Baruch answered them and pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth and I wrote them with ink in a book. This is the book, the first book of Jeremiah. Then said the princes unto Baruch, Go hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and don't let any man where you are. You better run. With these words you're talking about, this king's going to be destroyed, and this nation's going to be destroyed. You got any hope? He'll kill you, Jeremiah and Baruch. And they went to the king and to the court, and they're going to read this book of Jeremiah. But they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of King Jehoiakim, a wicked king. You're going to lose your throne. They're saying God's going to burn this place to the ground through the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. So the king sent Jehudi to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudi read it in the ears of King Jehoiakim. And in the ears of the princes which stood before the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month. And there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudi had read three or four leaves. That's all. He cut it with a penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was in the hearth. 
poor Jehoiakim did not like this. You're going to destroy me and my kingdom? God had mostly wicked kings in Israel. These are all the kings of Israel right here. Most of them were wicked. God told them they have to be obeyed. He had three righteous kings in Israel. Who were they? David, Hezekiah, and Josiah. That's it. He had some halfway righteous, Asa. He was good till he got old and he got contrary and God killed him. And Jehoshaphat was fantastic king, except he run around with Ahab. Good grief, Jehoshaphat. He's a heathen. He was a murderer. And he married that wicked Jezebel. And she brought her gods down into Israel and corrupted Israel. And then their son, Jehoshaphat's son, sees their wicked daughter, Athaliah, one night. And she falls in love with her and marries her. And she brings her mother and father's gods down to southern Judah. That's why God destroyed both of them. Man, alive. I read this going, how can you guys do that? And boy, if they could come forward, they'd say, well, how can the people in America live the way they're living? Call themselves Christian with a church on every corner and all the church preachers are lying. Yet, they were not afraid after they threw the first book of Jeremiah into the fire. They didn't have no fear. They didn't rent their garments. They were brought up under the teaching of the Word of God. Neither the king nor his servants that heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan, Delania, and Gamaria made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll, but he would not hear them. Boy, Jehoiakim, I'm sure he's in hell today. I've got so much, I'm out running out of time. Jehoiakim? Huh? Jehoiakim? Jehoiakim, not Ken. Jehoiakim was a decent guy. That's He's the one that Jehoiakim had a son, Jehoiakim. I don't know exactly how righteous he was, but he's the one that Jehoiakim, C-H-I-N. Jehoiakim is spelled with a K, J-E-H-O-I-A. C-H-I-N. Jehoiakim is the one, uh, when you see Jeconias, J-E-C-O-N-I-A-S, and you see that in the first chapter of Matthew, that's a contraction for Jehoiakim. So the throne, the crown was passed through Jehoiakim till it got down to Jesus. And that takes me a while to explain all that. And I'm in the end of the 37th chapter. And take thee, verse 28, again another row. Write in it all the former words that that were in the first row. God probably inspired him to write it exactly. Which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned. And he says in verse 29, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, Israel. And shall cause to cease from thence man and beast, 
Verse 30, Therefore thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, He shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out in the day to the heat, and in the night in the frost. That's Jehoiakim's fate for burning the word of God. It's no consideration for Jeremiah's words. And I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah, southern Israel, all the evil that I have pronounced against them. But they hearken not. That's a fact. Am I out of time, Mike? Two minutes. When I get into chapter 38 on the next message, that's where they're so mad at Jeremiah. All the princes of of Israel, not pagans, the princes of Israel go to King Zedekiah. He's the last king of Israel, of southern Judah. They said, can we kill this Jeremiah? He is making us so depressed and disheartened. We want to kill him. And Zedekiah said, you can hang him in the mire. That was, there's, some say that the mire was like a dungeon and it was a place they kept their waste, their human waste. I had a guy paint that picture at the back of the building and Jeremiah hanging in the mire. And I got under it. This is the beginning of Christianity when they want to hang you in the mire. Jeremiah was afraid of these guys. The Bible says that several times. But he was bold enough to do what God told him to do. There's been times I have been afraid to say some of the things I've said. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm so old and seasoned it don't bother me anymore. But I want to get into Jeremiah being hung in the mire. God did all of this because Israel went after what we call Christmas. It was Bell in the Grove. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for Jeremiah. I hope to meet him one day. What a magnificent man of God. I would do what you say regardless of the cost. I pray you'll make me that way. I pray you'll strengthen the flock, increase their faith so they can stand in a world that doesn't want truth. Fight all of our battles. We can't fight, Lord. We'll trust you to do that. We'll praise you in Christ's name for it all. Amen. Well, he is certainly one of my favorite men of the Old Testament. He sure wouldn't have. He was afraid, but he did it. He did it anyway. <laughs>